0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050.
1: Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Chatty reporting for the next 60 minutes. And it's on to gameplay with Matthew Cause. Uh, An interesting morning. Some stuff has developed over the last, I want to say, 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, we can present it to you, and, and we have some guests to help us uh, sort of add perspective and uh, explain uh, the breaking story right off the top. The NHL and the NHLPA have announced that Kerry Price will be away from the team while voluntarily taking part in the NHL-NHLPA player assistance program. Uh, according to Mark Bergevin, the news came to him yesterday. He caught him off guard. He said yes, is what he said. Uh, on Instagram this morning, a short while ago, uh, Carey's wife Angela posted a really nice supportive uh, note to her husband and, and really you know talking about uh, having the the strength to admit uh, help is needed uh, we don't really get into the, the specifics here because we don't know it's none of our business this is a, a family matter and a personal matter but it's a very supportive note and, and his sister uh, Kayla also uh, you know, redistributed uh, Angela's uh, notes and then added her own little note on top so that's where we stand Carrie Price uh, will be away from the Habs for quite some time or some time I guess is the right way while voluntarily taking part in the NHL and NHLPA player assistance program uh, we follow that up with some other hockey news, uh, and it has now been confirmed by the Leafs. Austin Matthews has been named to the U.S. Olympic team, along with Seth Jones and Patrick Kane, so those are their first three, you know, that the Canadian team did that last week, so, uh, you know, again, we have, and not that it's a surprise, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, in the Olympics going head-to-head at some point, so uh, fascinating stuff that way. Uh, We've got another couple of uh, interesting stories uh, making the rounds. The Leafs, uh, as you know, are in Gravenhurst. Uh, There's sort of a getaway before their final preseason game and then of course the season opener next Wednesday night live here on TSN 1050 with the Leafs set home to the Habs. And Kristen Chilton is reporting the Leafs are taking to the ice for practicing Gravenhurst. Jake Muzzin is out there after missing the team's last couple of sessions with an ailment. Travis Dermott with a calf problem also in attendance. So, you know, the next step towards finalizing that roster and uh, getting it ready to complete the the preseason and and open the regular season. Uh, And that's the hockey story to a degree. There's another story making the rounds that is a a little uh, off kilter, a little disturbing. Uh, It comes to us uh, from a tweet from a fellow by the name Tom Winter, and he says there's a breaking story that 18 former NBA players have been arrested and charged federally for defrauding the NBA's health and welfare benefit plan out of approximately $4 million, uh, this is according to law enforcement officials, indictments have been placed and uh, charges have been laid in this particular case. So this is a kind of a disturbing story, but we'll try to get more on this. We have three guests to help us navigate through some of this stuff that uh, I've just sort of dumped on you this morning. Uh, Scott Mitchell, our Blue Jay reporter, will be by very shortly to go over the, the baseball situation. And I don't know if you, you hung in last night, but the Dodgers, bottom of the night, two-run shot by Taylor, 3-1 over the cards and wow, I mean that's that's National League baseball to its finest. Uh, going through all the pitchers, and uh, I mean it, it can be a little grueling to view, but when it's over, it's it, it, you know ended in dramatic fashion—a walk-off, bottom of the ninth—and so that brings us to uh, the baseball story today. Uh, the American League takes over again: uh, Chicago White Sox against Astros, Red Sox against Rays, and Scotty Mitchell will be able to take us through that. But of course, more importantly, the, the season-ending uh, speeches or statements from the Blue Jays front office yesterday, and where this thing tracks. Uh, when it moves forward, so plenty to talk about with Scott Mitchell. He's up in a couple of minutes later on. Our legal legal Eric Macromello will stop by. He's going to help us understand that that NBA story. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff going on in uh, professional sports, and really, my major question to him is, and, and it sort of dovetails into the the, the Robin Leonard stuff. There's, there seems to be this thing in in a, in a lot of what we do in our lives, and I'm just going to sort of push it over to the sports world where things. Go wrong, and somebody has to stick their neck out it and start making waves and then oh yeah we 're going to investigate this stuff It just seems to be a lack of uh, either infrastructure or systems to make sure that things don 't go wrong in the first place, so that 's going to be part of our conversation with with Eric Macramella. Uh, you wonder why things have to go drastically wrong before they 're corrected, but that seems to be. You know, when you watch the news, when you watch the sports news, there's a lot of that stuff where you go, really? I mean, that had to happen for this to be corrected. Okay, I, I guess that's okay. I, I find it unacceptable myself, but uh, you you have your own opinion on it. So Eric's going to help us go through that. And then Greg Wasinski will stop by later on. He's the NHL senior writer for ESPN. Great piece that he has out there about Ovi and his pursuit of Gretzky. And you know, ask yourself, if you do talk to yourself, you know, if if Obi doesn't do it, who will? But, you know, I, my one of my theories is, you know, the the structure of the game is is totally different now. The money's front end loaded as opposed to rear end loaded, and, and so maybe nobody has that kind of endurance. But that, that's a topic for later on in the broadcast. Let's talk Blue Jays now. Let's bring in Scott Mitchell. Scott, welcome. How are you today, sir?
2: I'm excellent. How are you?
1: Good. Uh, great piece, by the way, on TSN.ca, the ten questions the Jays have to answer. So uh, I'm just going to throw this at you. And, again, great piece. But of those ten questions, how many can they miss on?
2: Oh, I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, some of the questions aren't really, you know, missed or, or not missed. I mean, obviously, Charlie Montoyo's staff is coming back. That's one of them. Um, look, I, I think, obviously, the important ones are, you know, Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon, what are you going to do with those guys? Uh, do you have a chance to, to bring them back? And and we're so early in the process. Nobody knows at this point. Um, All we know is those guys have made themselves a lot of money, and the Blue Jays are going to have to really ante up to bring them back. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And I, I believe we're probably going to be waiting into, into January for a lot of these guys once again this year. So I wouldn't expect to, to have any sort of movement in this free agent market for – um, you know, probably down into into late December at this point, like we've seen the last couple of years. So when you look at some of those questions, I mean, it's you know, do Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel return as the as the corner outfielders? Obviously, very productive. Uh, I think upgrading the defense overall is a priority this uh, this winter, and you know we'll see how they can do that. But when you look at kind of what is um, you know, on the roster right now, I mean, you know, you look at Gurriel and he's a, a guy who has a, a very productive bat. He's streaky, he's injury prone, um, obviously the, the cannon for the arm. But he's been asked about by a lot of teams. Same with say, Oscar Hernandez prior to prior this year. I, I don't know that they're going to move him after the monster year he had. But when you look at upgrading that defense, maybe Gurriel goes um, and you can get a pitcher back, something like that. So I, I think creative things are, are kind of on the table. And you know, another one of those questions is just how much money do they have? And, and we'll see how much uh, in the end. But when you look at kind of what they've done over the past couple of years, they're, they're clearly going to spend. It makes no sense to pull back on the spending now. And when you look at all the money coming off the books, like Tanner Roark, the end of Troy Tulowitzki's contract, um, they're in very good uh, position financially. So uh, we'll, we'll see what they do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the headline's easy. I mean, Ray, Simeon, and, and, and Mats, and, but there has to be a plan B. I mean, or maybe even a plan C, that, that if they only sign one, they have to replace two, or if they sign two, they have to replace one. You, I mean, there, there has to be a lot of things sort of spinning at this particular point, right?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, this is just the, the start of the process. I mean, Ross Atkins talked about it yesterday. Uh, you know, they go in with all of their baseball ops guys, they ask them questions and they allow everyone to think individually and then they come together as a group and different guys have different ideas of who they should target, who they should go after. And yeah, I mean, there's not only playing ABCD, it's E F G H I J. And there's a ton of starting pitchers on the market. And that's why, you know, we see these kind of things unfold so slowly sometimes because teams are looking through all of their options and trying to figure out, you know, what the best value is, who wants to be there and what they should do. And, You know, that's uh, the opportunities and alternatives. We've heard that every winter from Ross Atkins, and, you know, that's going to be a couple of the buzzwords once again.
1: You know, many times in our conversations, we've talked about the the on-field chemistry that that all these guys have. The Blue Jays have and, and it was remarkable to watch. Um, so I have to sort of preface this, and, and like I have to ask this question two ways. Um, when when you're looking at um, the numbers, and you take the humanity off or the name off the numbers, when you're dealing with Matts Ray and, and Simeon, um, you know who is the? What are the easiest numbers to replace, and and how does that affect the chemistry?
2: Well, look, to, to be honest, the easiest numbers to replace in a way are, are Marcus Semyon. I mean, you're not going to sign a, a guy who's going to put up MVP numbers, but look, the Blue Jays are at the point where they've got a ton, ton of young positional talent. You know, Semyon and, and George Springer just kind of were the cherries on top last year, but you, you win with pitching. And if Robbie Ray is this Robbie Ray, um, you go out and pay him $150 million and you plug him in atop your rotation, and, you know, you, you expect him to do that every year. The question with Ray and really, the the question that not only the Blue Jays are going to be asking themselves over the next month or two, and you know the whole league's going to be asking themselves, is is this the real Robbie Ray moving forward? I mean, he cut the walk significant, significantly. Looks like a completely different picture out there um, compared to what we've seen over the past couple of years. So it's um, you know <laughs> he's a nine-figure guy, but you know the difference between 150 million and 105 million is going to be teams believing that this is who he is.
1: Uh, you know, I, I think one of the the uh, things that you have to be sort of a, a wary of when you're dealing with the Jays because it's so positive. And I, I don't mean to, you know, put put some rain on on this particular story. But but we always you sort of look at things and you track. Okay, if this guy did this now, he's he's capable of of taking the next step. What do we have to be cautious about here?
2: Well, I, I mean, look, I, I think you, you got to be cautious with uh, you know all of these guys. I mean, Stephen Matz, There's a reason all these guys were on the market last year. When you look at um, you know, Ray and, and Matt, uh, they had terrible years and they wanted one-year deals or, sorry, Matt's was a, a trade. He was on the last year of the deal, but they were trying to rebuild their value and they did that, um, you know, exponentially. And, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen, you know, two guys on, on one-year deals, uh, like Ray and Semyon put up a, an MVP in a Cy Young season. And, you know, it benefited the Blue Jays in so many ways, but it's about to benefit them individually. And that's exactly what they wanted. So, um you know, you have to be careful with the, the career year. And you, you, you pay guys off career years and, you know, you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think both of these guys are, are worth the money. Um, I, I just think that when you look at the term and you, and you look at how crazy it's going to get, um, you know, are both of these guys worth George Springer-type contracts? Based on uh, the 2021 season, yeah. Based on the body of work over their career. Um, you know, I think Semyon's a safer bet, but the upside is with Ray, and that's what you need right now to turn yourself into a World Series contender is frontline starting pitch.
1: And, and as we go down the road, and, and obviously there has to be more money put aside at some point for Vladdy and Bo, how does that play into all this, or, or does it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the really the, the, the kicker in, in all of this is, you know, I, I think, you know, long-term contract extensions are going to be on the table uh you know early next year those tend to go down in february and march I, I think you know the blue jays have kind of kicked the tires on on those already so you know when you're talking about two potentially what two 3 400 million dollar players um you know i don't even want to guess numbers at this point but you're talking 25 30 million dollar players uh, you can only afford so many of those so if you go out and sign Marcus simon for 6 years at 25 million uh, 150 which is the george springer contract um you can only have so many 25 million dollar contracts so you have to really be wary of the future, and you have to really be wary of, of the term here. Um, you know, can the Blue Jays afford twenty-five million dollars for twenty-twenty-two and twenty-twenty-three? Absolutely. Uh, but Marcus Semien isn't taking a two-year deal at this point. Um, you know, he's going to be looking for five, six going into his age thirty-one year. So it's a it's a really tricky situation because you have to weigh the now and you know what this team did and how could how good they could potentially be in twenty-twenty-two um, with the uh, potential. But, uh, you know, you have to keep your books aligned, you know, heading into 2024, 25, when, you know, all of your key homegrown guys are going to be needing new deals.
1: I'm going to throw a couple of names at you. Uh, Biggio, what do you see his role in? And Stroman, would he ever come back?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll tackle the Strowman one first. No, no chance. Stroman would come back. The, the Blue Jays will not be interested in any sort of reunion there. Um, you know, they, they dealt him for a reason, and they wanted to, to move on from the previous clubhouse, and that one's not happening to, to, no matter what Marcus Strowman says on on Twitter. So, um, you know, the, the the first one there, I, I think when you look at what, um, you know, the Blue Jays have right now and when you, when you look at, um, you know, potentially what they could do in this market, uh, I think, you know, you, you have to really consider all avenues at this point. And, um, you know, the, the, the interesting name on the market right now for me is, is Noah Syndergaard, not only because he's a homegrown guy, but because of the fact that, uh, you know, he might be in the Robbie Ray situation where he needs to take a one-year deal. So that's a, the type of deal that I would be interested in. and I think the Blue Jays are kind of looking to run back the same sort of thing, um, you know, maybe just with different names and not Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon.
1: Uh, well, let's talk about the the baseball tonight. Chicago against the Astros, Red Sox against the Rays. How do you see that Red Sox Rays series?
2: Well, I mean, look, the Rays are one of the best teams in baseball, and probably are you know considered the the World Series favorites at this point with what the Dodgers did. And I think when you look at the fact that uh, you know they're running out their their young starting pitching, um, that's going to be the real interesting factor. If these guys, if Shane boz McClanahan, if these guys are are legit and up to the task of of performing on the uh, the postseason stage, and I think the Rays are the best team. But anytime you're relying on young pitchers that uh, are unproven on any stage, let alone the postseason stage, it's going to be tricky. So um, you know, I I think we all saw the Red Sox this year kind of uh, be an up and down team that no one really bought at times. And uh, you know, I think all Blue Jays fans are sitting there probably watching the series, thinking the Jays are, are the better team. and I, I wouldn't be able to disagree with that. I think talent-wise, um, you know, top to bottom, you know, the Red Sox kind of got in there and, and they obviously kind of rode their first half of the season to a playoff spot. And I think the Rays will probably have an easy time.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was unanimous. Anybody we talked to when we were talking about the wild card race had the Yankees and Blue Jays in and, and the Red Sox out. And, you know, there the Yankees were. Uh, you know, C- Garrett Cole couldn't get it done, and, and, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, the Bats didn't get it done. In fact, the last uh, the Yankee explosion at the Bats came at, at the Blue Jays' expense last Thursday. That was, that was hard to figure, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean that was uh that Robbie race start. I mean you you can lament a lot of, you know, single game outcomes uh, over the course of 162, but when you look at that start when you had your ace on on the mound and he gives up four home runs and and you lose that game and and miss by a game, that's obviously one in the uh the recent review that uh you're going to uh not be too happy about, but yeah, look, I think the Yankees were uh, kind of a one dimensional team. They didn't have enough pitching, and then Garrett Cole in the second half of the season didn't look like Garrett Cole. So, you know, that's going to be a, a serious issue uh for any team.
1: Uh, and one more before we let you go the White Sox and Astros, how do you see that series?
2: Uh, I mean that's that's such an interesting one. I mean, obviously, two very very good offenses, and it's kind of which uh, which pitching shows up. I like the White Sox in that one, probably. I think the the Astros are, uh, you know, they're a very talented team. I think that's probably the series that's, that's going to go down for the wire in the American League. And um, you know, I'll probably I'll probably bet on Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn um, in that one in the
1: end. Scott, thanks very much. Appreciate it. All right, Jim. Take care, pal. That is Scott Mitchell, our, our Blue Jay reporter. Uh, you know, so an interesting take on, you know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of plates spinning, as I like to say, for the Jays in the offseason, but I think it probably ended better than, than any Blue Jay season in terms of the optimism that springboards into next year in quite some time. And obviously, you know, there's a long-term plan, and, and that's uh, that's it's carved in a wall somewhere at the ball yard. There they have it in the office. They know exactly where they're going there and, and how it all fits. And, you know, maybe because they did so well in the offseason last Last year with their acquisitions, they feel they can do it again and maybe walk away, but I'm sure they're going to do their diligence and and take a run at uh, getting everybody back. The question is, will the numbers work out? This is where the humanity basically leaves the story. I keep crying about adding humanity to the story, but when you're dealing with hard, fast numbers and and a salary budget and, and how everything fits in, next year, and moving forward, uh, it is a real equation. So you have to sort of defer to the people that, that have the inside information on that one. Last night, Dodgers uh, 3-1 over the St. Louis Cardinals, and just a, a, a wow, a dream ending for the Cardinals got uh, got wiped out with the bottom of the ninth hit. So Taylor with the shot. And here's some stats. Since August 27th, Taylor was 8 for 72. That's a one eleven average. 30 strikeouts and 8 hits. And... uh <laughs> But when it all counted, boom, gone. Uh, you know, Scherzer, watching him pitch last night, and they did refer to it on the broadcast, reminded me of when he was with the Tigers. And, and so this guy was flawless since acquired. But he, he threw 94 pitches, allowed three hits, one earned run, and three walks, was pulled with runners on second and third, and one out in the top of the fifth. Uh, so he wasn't happy. Uh, and the bottom line is, you know, it, it's everybody else. You can have the great starting pitching uh, in uh, the playoffs and in the World Series. But quite frankly, you know, after the sixth inning, uh, you're on borrowed time anyway. So, I mean, everybody else has to be there. And, and, you know, that's something to consider for the Jays moving forward. Dodgers will face the Giants for the first time ever in postseason series between teams with 105-plus wins, both of them. Wow. Crazy stuff. Uh, so that's that's the baseball story. We've got a lot, a lot of ground to cover here. I'm just going to reset some stuff off the top in, in case you missed it or just want to sort of uh, be reassured of what's happening. The NHL and the NHLPA announced that Carey Price will be away from the team while voluntarily taking part in the NHL and Players Association player assistance program and Mark Bergerman said this morning, this is his quote, the news came to me yesterday, so it caught me off guard, yes. Uh, and that's the end of his quote. Uh, there's nothing more really to be said. There's supportive stuff on Instagram from Terry's wife and his sister, and I suggest you you check it out because when we were talking numbers earlier, I took the humanity out. This puts the humanity back in. So, you know, all I'm going to say, I'm not going to preach to you. I think you all understand this, that, you know, when we're talking about athletes, yes, we are concerned with their performance, and and we are disappointed when the team that you support doesn't win, but they are people first. They have families, and they have responsibilities to themselves that supersede uh, whatever contracts they have because – that's the humanity of the situation. And we're going to have uh, Eric Macromello on with us very shortly to go over a lot of those situations. And then later on, Greg Wyshynski will stop by, ESPN senior NHL writer. Great piece on ESPN on the uh, Ovi chase of Gretzky. And, you know, as I said earlier, if he doesn't do it, who will? And you're looking to, for the ultimate mix of high-end skill, and I mean extremely high-end skill and high-end durability. That's what it takes to get there. I mean, you've got to year after year for uh, pretty well all your career to, to topple Gretzky because that's what he did. And I just I wonder out loud if that's doable in the current situation because most people cash in after their entry-level contracts, and and that might be, for some of them, as much as they get. I mean, obviously, the cream of the the, the crop gets more going forward, but uh, I don't know what that does to motivation. I, I'll never know what it does to motivation, but it is a thought to throw out there. So he's later on in the broadcast, and then gameplay with Matt Coz at 1 o'clock, getting you set for a very big football weekend, uh, of course. That, that hits actually tonight. We've got Thursday Night Football, Rams in Seattle on TSN 1, and we have the Raptors in Philadelphia tonight on, on TSN two. And last night a salute to the Argos who slip by the Ottawa Red Blacks thirty-five sixteen at BMO Field, uh, there was a pick six, there was a block punt for a touchdown. I mean, the ultimate in complimentary football, as the Argonauts celebrated and, and paid honor to the 1991 Toronto Argonaut Grey Cup champion team uh, with uh, some special guests last night and was brought out on the uh, the broadcast as well. So a great night for Argonaut football, to say the very least, and complimentary football, hard to beat. So we're going to talk with Eric Macromella next. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming and podcasting and on-demand on demand in Apple Car. Airplane Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now,
0: back to Toronto Today.
1: Welcome back to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting. Uh, We've got some stuff from Leafs Camp. I'm just going to squeeze in here before we bring in Eric Macromella. According to Kristen Schulten, these are the lines at practice. So maybe a tip as to where they're going to head either next week or in the, the games that follow the opening night that we'll have live here on TSN 1050. Matthews between Marner and Ritchie. Tavares between Kasha and Mikheyev. Camp between Simmons and Engval, Kerfoot between Spetsa and Bunting. The Spares are Brooks, Semyonov, Gabriel and Amadio, and on the blue line, Riley Brody, Muzzin Hall, Sandine, Lilligren, and Dermott and Biega are the, the the I guess the seven eight guys. Campbell and Mrazic, of course, the goaltenders. And uh, we were told by Chris Johnson that uh, Nylander is not there because uh, he received his second shot last week, so not considered fully vaccinated. He did not travel with the team to gravenhurst so that's why uh, we didn't have his name when i was rhyming off those lines but i think it's a pretty good tip matthew's not in contact yet so we'll develop that story in the next half hour or so let's bring in our legal legal now eric Macromello, tsn radio legal analyst and host of offside eric how are you today sir
3: i am i'm doing great as, as a habs fan i've just been watching the carrie price stuff and that's unfortunate and hope uh, he can get the help that he needs and he'll be spending a minimum of 30 days as per the uh, NHL, NHLPA policy to get some help, but I suspect it may well extend beyond those 30 days.
1: Yeah, I mean, all we can do at this point is is wish him well, and and he and his family well, and it just brings back the humanity that I I keep saying it gets removed from the equation in a lot of our analysis. I just want to make a general statement, because I know you'll react. It just seems to me that when we're dealing with with some of these uh, issues, not the Kerry Price one, but some of the other ones that we're going to get into, um, that there's really no safeguard to prevent them from happening. It requires somebody to step outside, take a chance, stick their neck out, and, and say something, and sometimes they don't get it quite accurate there's some emotion involved for obvious reasons uh, and then the, the leagues or the the governing bodies then react in their own manner I'm not, I'm not suggesting they should jump to any conclusions there's a process there but there doesn't seem to be as many safeguards as we would like do you agree with that
3: You I mean safeguards insofar as ensuring that players are well that are mentally well is that well
1: and, and it, it, like some of these accusations, if I went through them, if I went through the uh, the Robin Leonard stuff, I mean, why does why does it require mm. a, an athlete to to stick his neck out like that when when there should be protocols in place to make sure that that accusation can never be made? Am I am I being naive?
3: No, I don't think I don't think you're being naive. I mean, sports culture and hockey culture is pretty unique, right? And. And there are certain sort of unstated rules that that govern that culture. And some of that stuff is not speaking out and going public about allegations regarding, you know, uh, pushing pills. And, uh, you know, the NHL, I'm sure, takes that stuff very seriously. But they would also prefer, as a public business, that stuff be handled behind the scenes. But there's no doubt, you know, across all the four major sports that, you know, historically there have been some issues when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I think as we evolve and progress, uh, that the leagues are taking these things more seriously. And when you're looking at what's happened this season with Jonathan DeWine first and then Gary Price, what it, what it does is it serves to humanize these players, and that is what is so profoundly lacking in sports. And then when you begin to humanize each of the individual players, then the leagues as a whole perhaps would be more receptive to ensuring that those players, which are also human beings, are taken care of and are in good health.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. I hate to sort of veer off here, but it's an interesting exercise in understanding how we get there, and a lot of it's based on uh, analysis, based on what a guy makes for a living, uh, which I think is ridiculous. Uh, it's market value; it shouldn't be held against him. And two people sign the contract, but but nonetheless, that doesn't stop people from going down that road. And as soon as you do, that's when you remove the humanity. That that would be my take on it. Uh, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's true in that you know some members of the public are of the view, and you know, why is this player? complaining, why are they kicking up a fuss? You know, they're making millions of dollars a season. And so they sort of immediately uh, look at the player as an asset and quantify that asset. And then they sort of conclude or declare, well, you know what, if someone, if an asset is making this much money, then they're not entitled to complain. And they're two very different things. I mean, when you, if a fan says a player is overpaid, they simply don't understand the market forces and the very basic economic principles of supply and demand. And there are very few athletes on the planet that can do what these NHL players can do. And so they are paid, and they are paid well within the four corners of an incredibly profitable, multi-billion-dollar business. But the fact that they're paid doesn't remove their humanity, and it, it doesn't preclude you know, a personal, humanitarian type of examination as to what is going on with a view to ensuring that these players are good. Because we know that in the hockey culture, Jim, uh, that it, it, players – probably reflexively feel discouraged from coming forward with issues related to mental health because it, it, it might suggest um, that they're not, you know, sufficiently, you know, tough or manly enough. When mental illness is simply a physical illness of the brain, I studied it for three years at McGill in my undergrad degree, uh, which was uh, psychology and was the science of the brain. And, uh, you know, when I walked away from that degree, what was abundantly clear to me Is that, uh, you know, that when someone says they are suffering from a mental illness, uh, what that is, is a physical deficiency of their brain. And it's no different than a broken arm. The only difference is it's harder to see. Some people don't believe it. And it can follow you for your entire life.
1: Well, as a good friend Michael says, sick not weak, uh, and so and mm-hmm. and it takes enormous enormous strength to to say you know to reach out and, and and admit that there is a problem there and that you want help with it. That's not weakness at all. That's that's major league strength. There's, I don't think anybody would argue with that. And we've yeah, seen many has. examples of it, including you know recently in tennis and, and at the Olympics, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of of, of uh, Michael Landsberg you know, when I was saying that stuff, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's people like Michael and it's people like someone that that come out in the face of great adversity and significant resistance uh, and come out and declare that they're not well. And also suggest at the same time that there's nothing wrong with being unwell. What's wrong is not seeking help. And they are telling everybody around who is struggling with these types of mental issues, which, again, are just physical issues of the brain. That's why I don't like the term mental illness. Um, They're struggling with these physical issues of the brain, that there is help out there and that there is nothing wrong with saying that I need a hand.
1: Uh, Sort of a contrast here. This this next story uh, is hard to understand. 18 NBA veterans arrested in an alleged $4 million health insurance fraud scheme. Uh, It just doesn't make a lot of sense, but there have been charges and indictments uh, filed. What do you make of that story?
3: Well, when you look at the uh, list of players uh, that are engaged in this fraudulent scheme, and and that is basically putting in to be reimbursed for expenses, connection with services they never got from a dentist or a doctor or those kinds of things. And the list of players is not made up of anybody who made a lot of money. Terrence Williams, former NBA player, is apparently the head of this scheme, a guy that was getting uh, kickbacks. And, you know, as a lawyer's practiced for 22 years, these types of schemes perhaps are not as unusual as people may think. The issue here is it's occurring within the context of the NBA. And that's fascinating to me because these players are effectively stealing or taking money from their peers and their colleagues. And uh, they're not really being great teammates. And it's really... A fascinating study here, but ultimately it's just people that perhaps were didn't sufficiently monetize their NBA existence and now are looking, were looking for ways to defraud the NBA uh, and to make some money. But there tends to be a, a paper trail here and all of these players are in serious criminal trouble and Terrence Williams is the head of this calculated scheme to defraud the NBA and the players um, is going to be likely facing some necessary jail time.
1: Eric, I wish we had more time. Uh, thanks for stopping by, and I hope to have you back on, on on a show sometime in the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much. No,
3: it was great to talk to you, Jim. Take care, man.
1: Thank you. That's Eric Macromela, TSN Radio Legal Analyst and host of Offside. Up next, Greg Wischinski, uh ESPN senior NHL writer. Could Obi catch Gretzky? Can he? Well, let's find out. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050 Live on your radio, live streaming and podcasting and on-demand in Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting, top of the hour, Matthew Cos with Gameplay. Let's dive back into the hockey story now. Let's bring in Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer. Greg, welcome. How are you today, sir?
0: Doing well. I mean, uh, again, as we head to the season, no shortage of news in this league. Uh, The Carey Price uh, news today, really uh, a shocking one.
1: It, it is and uh, you know it's a, a situation that causes you to stop and think in respect for sure uh your latest uh, piece of content is the five players most under pressure and, and number 5 is Mitch Marner uh, do you think it's all on him
0: not all on him um but you know i covered the washington capitals for a long time during the young guns years when they had you know Ovechkin and Backstrom and Mike Green and Alex Simmons, and that was a team that over time, had uh, couldn't find success in the postseason. And the Leafs are obviously going through the same thing now. And at some point, the core fractures. And it was actually Alex Semen who was shipped out first. And, you know, I think of Marner and I think about how his status as the golden boy of this franchise has changed over time. I think the contract situation... Not only the squabble that they had with Kyle Dubas, but then the eventual money that they signed him for was the beginning of that process where he went from golden boy to uh, a lightning rod of criticism. His lack of uh, goal scoring production in the postseason, I think, has only exacerbated that. And if the Leafs don't succeed again in the playoffs this year, there's, there's going to be, you know, changes to be demanded from the fan base and maybe from within the organization. And you wonder whether or not Martyr could be the guy who is, you know, sacrificed on the altar for those changes.
1: Yeah, you know, I have to sort of add to that. that when you're watching the Leaf situation, you wonder what the tipping point is. What is What would happen that would cause sort of a major reset in terms of thinking? The last Certainly last spring or last summer against Montreal was, was definitely a dent. But you wonder what it would take for somebody to say, hey, we've got to change this or, or do what Washington did. What's your take on that?
0: It's a great question because, you know, if it's another first-round exit this season, uh, then, then what's the what's the solution? What's the answer? What's the response? Not only from a personnel standpoint, but also from a managerial standpoint. I mean, Kyle Dubas has been very open with the idea that that his seat is certainly warming up as this team can't seem to get over the hump. That being said, um, the Capitals are a great example of why patience is a virtue. I mean, by the, I mean Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov and Holtby and all those guys. You know, they didn't have postseason success until they did. <laughs> you know, and and. And you never know when it's going to click. You never know what, what the chemistry is going to be when you get to the postseason. Uh, you never know if you're going to find the right solution and goal. I mean, obviously, the big change this year for the Leafs is shipping out Freddie Anderson and bringing in Peter Mrazek to that end. And Mrazek's a guy who can certainly run hot and cold. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what the, the tipping point is, because uh, you would think a disaster like last post, postseason might have been it, but maybe the Tavares injury gave, gave them cover for that uh, collapse against Montreal
1: yeah i i agree with that um uh, and when we're talking about the capitals uh, and their failures before the Stanley cup and and ovi it's interesting that Ovi is, is sort of the uh well the the sort of the, the the front for all this because uh anything you would say about the caps and all those blown series leads and lack of success really got he wore all of that and then as they won uh he became this guy who knew how to win which he is and and you know threatening to to surpassed Gretzky. I mean, his persona changed immediately after the win, didn't it?
0: It's amazing. And you, you bring up that column that I wrote this week about who's on the hot seat, and I've got five players, five coaches, five GMs. And in the case of the coaches and the GMs, I, I'll admit, you know, like one good week, one good month, <laughs> one good playoff round can certainly change the perception of a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And in Ovechkin's case, I mean, a lot of us rallied to his cause because he was, you know, a focal point of criticism when the Capitals couldn't get through, you know, why isn't doing more? His playoff numbers were always pretty good. Um, and it was just, you know, because of a, a bad matchup against the Penguins or deficient goaltending or whatever, they couldn't break through. And, you know, that's why you have to be careful with the, the scapegoating when it comes to po- a lack of postseason successes. Sometimes it's not necessarily the star players not producing. It's just things aren't clicking or, or the supporting cast isn't doing their part.
1: Now, number four on your player list is Patrick Laine, who undressed the kid most-sider yeah. most for Detroit last night, literally. Uh, but having said that, I mean, I always thought that when that trade was made, and, and, you know, both sides of that trade with Winnipeg and Columbus did not look good, but I absolutely thought that Laine was was a, a really bad fit with torts. Uh, now there's a new coach there. Do you think this will will return to normal?
0: Potentially what what makes me excited about Line A this year um, is that they traded for Jakub Voracek from the Philadelphia Flyers. And Vorachek is a guy who is familiar with Columbus, obviously hasn't played there before, but also is a great complementary player uh to to goal scorers, you know, he, he can score some goals on his own, but he's always been more of a setup guy and to have a player of that ilk uh on his line I think will benefit Line A. It's a real make-or-break season for him, though, let's be honest. I mean, you know, he he was the big acquisition in the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. Um, There's enormous pressure on him to kind of recapture the goal-scoring magic, and we saw a glimpse of it, like you said, this week. But he's also heading into a, a contract year where he carries a pretty hefty salary. This is the deal that, you know, in theory you bridge to, you know, you bridge to a long-term, big-money deal if you're Patrick Liney at this point. And he still is kind of rebuilding that reputation. That 40-goal that season, 44-goal season that he had a few years ago seems like it's a century away right now based on how he played in his, his last seasons in Winnipeg and, and how he didn't really click in Columbus. But like you said, new coach, new line mate, new start. We'll see if he can uh, become the player that we all figured he could be, he could be in his first two years of, of his NHL career.
1: So number three on your player list is Kuznetsov with the Caps. Then you have two goalies, Kemper with Colorado and Hart with Philadelphia. So let's go to the GMs and the coaches. Uh, you know, Kyle Dubas is number three on your GM list. Uh, coaches, uh, no leaf to be concerned about. Uh, but uh, take us through some of the, the GMs and coaches and, and, and how you got there.
0: Well, you know, the, the top two GMs for me are, are Brad for Living in, in Calgary and Jim Benning in, uh, in Vancouver. And in, in True Living's case, I – it's, I had to look back and double-check. I, I was stunned by how, what lack of success Calgary's had under his watch. It always seems like they're doing pretty good. It always seems like he's being aggressive and adding players like, uh, you know, Jacob Markstrom uh, two, two off seasons ago and, and, and all that. And they just haven't really broken through and done anything. And, and uh, you know, the Daryl Sutter hiring last year smacked of, this is my last big gambit to try to turn this team into something before it may cost me my job. So he lands on in the top of my hot seat rankings. Benning is is an interesting one. I mean, he's one of these GMs that seems to make two bad decisions for every good decision he makes, but he still makes some good decisions. You know, the, the, the Quinn Hughes contract that he got was a pretty good one. The Elias Pettersson one I think was really good for Elias Pettersson and not necessarily for Vancouver. Um, and then the big swing, obviously, in the offseason was the Oliver-Eckman-Marson trade. Is that going to help bolster what is a pretty below average outside of Quinn Hughes defense core their top six, I love. I think they're going to be really good in their top six. The rest of the team, uh, outside of Thatcher Demko and, and Quinn Hughes, I'm not really in love with. And the thing about Benning right now is you're getting to the tipping point in Vancouver where you're starting to hear more rumblings from the fans. You're starting to see fire Benning banners around the arena and that whole thing. And, and that's a fan base that uh, you know when they rose up and decided that it was time for Mike Gillis to get fired. Mike Gillis got fired. So uh, if the natives are getting restless up there, then I think then uh, it, it could spell. Uh, some bad things for Jim Benning if this team doesn't return to the playoffs.
1: Okay, let's go to the uh, the advertised piece, because this is the, your top five thing just sort of hit me over the head, but your advertised piece is OB chasing Gretzky. As, as you put this together, what, what surprised you about it or did anything?
0: Well, it surprised me how, well, I'll tell you what, it didn't surprise me. What frustrated me was thinking about all the time he's lost, uh, if you If you stack up his his time loss to the two work stoppages and the games that he lost in these last two seasons because of the pandemic and you kind of game plan it out to his goals per game average in those time frames it 's cost him a hundred goals uh, you know I, I have the the mathematic breakdown in the story and that's just kind of frustrating that to have all that time taken away from someone that you know would have played the games because of the durability and stuff. The other takeaway from from the story, because uh, I, I talked to Sidney Crosby and Patrick Kane and, and Nathan McKinnon and a few others about the goal scoring race, and they're all enthusiastic about it and hoping that he sets the record. Was well, had a really good chat with Steven Stamkos in the Tampa Bay Lightning because at one point Stamkos was right there with Ovechkin for is this going who's going to be. The, the biggest goal scorer of, the, of this generation. And obviously, Obi, you know, eclipsed him and pulled away and became someone that became superhuman in that category. But it's almost like, to, to bring it in a, in an old-school context, that Stamkos is the Mike Bossy to ovechkin Gretzky. Like, what would Stamkos have been were it not for the injuries... Both, uh, you know, normal and, and freakish, like breaking his leg on the goalpost in Boston that one time, and we had a really good discussion about how he kind of casts a jealous eye at Ovechkin's durability and wonders what might have been.
1: I, I find it—I found it interesting to, to see the support, especially from Crosby. Not that you wouldn't think there there would be, but it seemed to be really sincere. How about you?
0: Yeah, you know that's one of the most fascinating relationships in sports that I think is, is sort of underrated. Uh, you know, they hated each other <laughs> when they were younger. I yeah. mean, Ovechkin comes in, he's the hotshot from Russia. Sid, the the golden boy from Canada, Ovechkin wins the rookie of the year in a in a, in a year where everybody assumed Sid was going to walk away from with it. They had playoff battles, the double hat trick game in the playoffs, maybe one of the best NHL games I've ever seen. And there was really animosity between them, uh, just like there was animosity between the teams. But as they've gotten older there's just been kind of this mutual admiration society between the two. And, and maybe it's because Ovechkin finally won his cup and got past the Penguins. I don't know what it is, but they're kind of the elder statesmen of this league. And, uh, and, and they just, they simply kind of appreciate each other in a way that I wouldn't have predicted and, and sit sincere when he says that, that he hopes Ovechkin breaks the record, not only because I think he's kind of come to, to peace with, with this relationship and, and, and respects Ovi and the talent that he has, but also, you know Sid's a hockey fan, he's a hockey nerd, like I think he kind of thinks it'd be cool if somebody that from his generation rose up and and set a record uh you know that's I think a lot of us never thought could be broken.
1: Uh, sometimes when we get to this in, in all sports, we we really key in on on can it happen and and, and maybe not realize that how how unique it is. I mean, Ovi is like Gretzky, elite talent and durability. Uh, and, and because people are getting huge money out of their entry level contracts, I don't know if we're going to see uh, that kind of a combo uh, that that lasts that long again. What's your take on that?
0: Well, you know, I think. It's really hard to predict where the sport's going to go. You know, I was talking to um, Jeff Halpern, who was Ovechkin's first linemate with the Capitals, and his take on the Gretzky record was like he never thought it'd be broken because we went through the 1990s. We went through this defensive phase in the NHL, and it was really hard to imagine that we'd get to a point where someone would come in and be able to threaten the record um, because we couldn't predict that the rule changes were going to happen after the the 05 lockout, and, and they certainly helped. Uh, Ovechkin, especially in, in the case of you know there being an uptick in, in power plays, where he you know obviously scored more than a goal or two in his career, but you can you think about uh, all of the things that Ovechkin's had to go through that Gretzky didn't, uh, be it the improved defensive systems, be it the remarkable improvement of goaltenders uh, and goaltending in the NHL, the fact that he's been able to even put a threat against this record is just remarkable. Um, and, and it's something that I think a lot of people that were Gretzky's contemporaries or came in in the generation right after him never thought they'd see.
1: Uh, one more quick one before we let you go. When you rated the Leaf goaltending tandem, they came in at 19th. Can I talk you out of that? <laughs>
0: talk me out of it. to will put them we'll at 30th or higher? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Better, better. <laughs> well, here, okay, so my when I wrote that story last week, and you can find it on ESPN.com, it was in consultation with some folks that I really respect in the goaltending community. Some of them use analytics. Some of them are using the eye test. And I kind of took their input when I did this ranking. And a lot of them did not like this tandem. Um, I, I think there's Freddie Anderson rates pretty high amongst the goalies in the goalie community. They, they, they like him a lot. They like his game. Um, they think he's going to probably do pretty well in Carolina. Morazik's a guy that they like, but admittedly, he runs so hot and cold that for two weeks he can look like the best goalie in the league, and then for two weeks he looks like you're never going to play him in another game. And I think that's always kind of been the knock on him, along with his durability. And so you combine that with maybe thinking that, that, uh, that Campbell punched above his weight last year a little bit. Obviously he did in, in compiling that record, but uh, thinking that maybe he's going to regress a little bit. There was just a sense of, of, the Leafs, of that Leafs tandem not being up to snuff with, with some of the other ones in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the thing about that tandem, though, it's important to remember, is that as as two goalies, yeah, that maybe they're they're not in the the top fifteen, but they're playing behind what is sneakily one of the best defensive teams in hockey. That was really one of the virtues of the Leafs last year that made them as good as they were, and 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 I think made it all the more frustrating that things fell apart against Montreal because it just didn't seem like the same team that we saw in the regular season. So. Campbell and Morazik should be fine if the Leafs can continue to excel defensively under Sheldon Keith, um, and I don't think there's any reason to think that they won't.
1: Greg, really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Hey, okay, anytime. Thanks for having me. That is Greg Wachinski, ESPN senior NHL writer. I like what he said there about the Leafs' uh, defensive uh, abilities. And, uh, of course, when we're talking about Freddie, we remember his original nickname, Steady Freddie. So that may be missing from the the equation, but improved uh, attention to detail defensively. And, and again, it was under the radar last year how fine they were and improved, and it sort of got marred by the three-game collapse against the Habs, which is like the Caps did on a regular basis, set all kinds of records for blowing 3-1 series leads until they didn't and then they won the Cup. That's That was their process. We're, of course, looking forward to see what the Leafs' process will be. Coming up at the top of the hour, Mad Cause and Gameplay. A reminder tonight, Thursday Night Football, Rams in Seattle on TSN 1 and on TSN 2 tonight, the Raptors in Philadelphia with their second preseason game as they get set for their season opener. And uh, uh, that is, again, as I said, on, on TSN 2. And congrats to the Argos for the win last night, 35-16 over the visiting Ottawa Red Blacks. Well, that's it for us. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Toronto today the final edition and then leafs lunch will return on tuesday after the long weekend to get you set for the leafs season opener which happens wednesday night you'll listen to it live here on tsn 1050 up next gameplay with matt cause enjoy your afternoon